Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast. Our mission of teaching people to love God by showing them how much He loves us starts right now. Let's just start off before we pray. The point I want to make is that God keeps His promises. God keeps His promises, not only to us personally, but God prophetically keeps His promises. And so today I want to show you that God keeps his promises and what happened in the past gives way to a prophetic future. Such a glorious hope we have in Christ. And I want to show you that. So again, one service, we're going to pray and we'll just, we're just going to have a blast in the Lord. Father, we thank you so much. We thank you for Christmas. You are Christmas, God. Oh Lord, I know that there was a mass and it was Christmas and But Lord, you are Christmas. You are our Savior. And so, Lord, we come. We thank you this morning that people on Christmas Eve are coming out and just hearing and wanting to grow in you. And I thank you. And I pray, Lord, that you would touch every heart that's here today. And I pray you would speak to it, Lord. Father, you know the intention of my heart even before when we were looking at this for Christmas. And so I pray that it would just come through, that you would anoint me with your spirit, Lord, to to teach. But Lord, ultimately, Lord, we learn that you're the teacher. And so we, we submit humbly to you, Lord. And we ask that you teach us from your word. God, give us ears to hear and hearts to receive. We thank you, God, for Calvary Chapel. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. And amen. In 1865, shortly after the Civil War, a pastor of Holy Trinity Church in Boston, Massachusetts, was helping with a Christmas Eve service actually in Bethlehem of Judea. Later, he wrote about his feelings of everything that had gone down. And as he descended to, from Jerusalem into Bethlehem riding a horse, he said, quote, I remember standing in the old church in Bethlehem. This is back in 1865, close to the spot where they figured Jesus was born. And the whole church was singing hour after hour, splendid hymns of praise, each to God. And it was as if I could hear angelic voices telling each other of the wonderful night of of our dear Savior's birth. Two years later, in 1867, this pastor his name is Philip Brooks. He, he, put to pen, he put his pen to paper and wrote a very special yet very biblical song that we often hear during the Christmas season. Some of you may know it, but here's what he wrote. He wrote these glorious words. He says, O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. Above the deep and dreamless sleep, the, slight stars go by, the silent stars go by. Yet in the dark streets shineth the everlasting light. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. We know it as, O little town of Bethlehem. Well, those verses declare the heart, really, of Christmas. That's what those verses do. And and if I may, let's think about Christmas for just a moment. Christmas should be a time of celebration, should be a time of celebration, yet we realize that, that in our culture, it can be very chaotic, can be very hectic, it can be very commercial when it comes to Christmas. But really for us as believers, it should be a time of celebration. Well, Christmas should also be 
Well, what's that, Pastor? Christmas should also be a time of salvation. A time of salvation, right? Because if you'll recall, the cradle gives, gives way to the cross. Without, without a cradle, we can't have a cross. And so Jesus had to come. And so we see it's a time of salvation. But it's also a time of contemplation. Contemplation. Now listen, the prophet Micah put his pen to paper and he wrote about this little town, this little town called Bethlehem. In 40 brief words, Micah tells the story of a very special town. If you were to hop on a plane and go with us to Israel, you would get over to Israel and you'd go, I want to see this place called Bethlehem. And you would go there today and it's actually part of a occupied, a Muslim occupied, and it's part of the West Bank. And so there's not a whole lot there. There's a few of them. And, and so there's not a lot going to Bethlehem. But Micah saw something here, guys, that was just simply amazing, Right? So through, his, through his, his words, although they may be brief, well, they actually contain a wealth of spiritual truth. Now, allow me to give you some background as we look at our text this morning, okay? Micah, if you're taking note, his name means is who is like Yahweh. So the prophet Micah, his name means who is like Yahweh, who is like Jesus. That's so important. And you go, why? Well, I'm going to tell you in just a minute. But he wrote this about 770, 700 to 750 BC, right around that area. The word Micah concerning Samaria and Jerusalem, he said these are types and shadows. But Micah, right, in Micah, Jesus is the king that he writes about in Bethlehem. So Micah comes up, right, in general, and he prophesies about the Assyrian and the Babylonian invasions that would cause the fall of both Samaria, the capital of the northern regions there in Israel, and Jerusalem, the capital of the southern kingdoms in Judah. And the word of the Lord, which came to Micah in the form of a lawsuit by God with Micah as the prosecutor, and the mountains and the hills, the high places of idolatry, as the silent dudges. Well, Micah proclaimed her wounds are incurable because of the corruption of the people. And he goes on to describe the leaders as butchering the people. And then in chapter 5, verse 2, he gives the, in this verse, he gives a great proclamation of the birth of the Messiah who comes from eternity, born in the city of Bethlehem, the least among the cities of Judah. Now listen. Here's what I want you to see. Micah prophesied a future destruction of Jerusalem and Samaria and the destruction and then future restoration of the Judean state. And he rebuked the people of Judah for a couple of reasons. Number one, dishonesty and idolatry. Well, his prophecy is that the Messiah would be born in this little town of Bethlehem, and it was actually cited over in the Gospel of Matthew in the Gospel of Luke. Now, before we get to the New Testament, here's what I want you to think about. Micah chapter 5, verse 2, there's a prophecy that reveals that Bethlehem would be the birthplace of the Messiah. Now, here's what I want you to see. I want you to think of Bethlehem. Bethlehem is insignificant. It's not very big. And all of a sudden, he prophesies that out of this insignificant little place, the Meshach is what they call it, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, is going 
to be born. Now, here's what I want you to catch, okay? The prophecy was written, check this out, church, 700 years before the birth of Jesus. 700 before, I mean, 700 years before this actually happened. Micah prophesied that in this town, oh, little town, not much going on there, Jesus would be born. Here's what I want you to think about, church. In its effective yet simple way, it eliminates all the other cities and towns throughout the world as a place which the Messiah would be born. It narrows the possibilities to the tiny village near Jerusalem and throughout the span of the past 27 centuries since the time of the prophet Micah, Bethlehem is credited as being the birthplace for the only person who is widely accepted as being the Messiah by people throughout the world, and that's the person of Jesus Christ. Now, here's what I want you to see. Here's what I want you to see. The people around the time of Jesus were looking for their Messiah. They just wouldn't think he was born in the small, insignificant city called Bethlehem. They said, our king, our king that's going to overthrow Rome, our king that's going to rise up and take us on to victory is not going to be born in a place called Bethlehem. And yet it was Micah who said, yes, yes, it will be. It will be Bethlehem. That's where the Messiah will be born. And of course, the New Testament books, Matthew and Luke, actually name the town of Bethlehem, as the birthplace of Jesus. Matthew chapter 2, verse 6, we're going to look for it in a minute, describes the birthplace of Jesus as the fulfillment of Micah's prophecy. So here's the question for you this morning, church. How many years before Jesus was born did Micah prophesy? 700 years. That's a long time. Let your, try to let your mind wrap around that. I mean, the, our, our, our country's only a little over 200 plus years old, right? You're thinking 700 years. A lot of stuff has to happen for that to come true. Well, 700 years, guys, before Jesus would come, it was prophesied that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. Now, let me ask you this, right? Do you believe that? Do you really believe that? And you go, I, I, I do, Pastor. I believe that Micah, the prophet, right, he had all of this going on in his life, but he prophesied that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. Everybody goes, amen. Okay, I believe it. I believe it. 700 years before that. Well, over in Micah chapter 5, verse 1, look at it real quick were reminded that there's a judge or a leader that would be smitten upon the cheek. This also has messianic overtones of Jesus, the ultimate judge, prince, and ruler being smitten on the behalf. Look at verse 1 real quick. I just want to show you something because it does still have that messianic overtone that Jesus, he's talking about Jesus. Look at verse 1, Micah chapter 5. Now gather yourselves in troops, O daughter of troops. He has laid siege against us. They will strike the judge of Israel with a rod on the cheek. Now, if you're taking notes, here's what I want you to see. Micah begins to prophesy, and he prophesies about this. They will strike the judge of Israel on, with a rod on the cheek. Now, how do you know it's messianic overtone? 
Well, it's fulfilled actually in Matthew chapter 27. Listen with me. Matthew 27, verse 29 says, speaking of Jesus, and when they twisted a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand, and they bowed the knee before him and mocked him saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And then they spat on him, and they took a reed, and they struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they took the robe off of him and, in, and his own clothes on him and led him away to be crucified. 700 years, Micah prophesies, even in verse 1, there's these messianic overtones. Matthew says, that's exactly what happened. And then we come to verse 2, which is prophetic. Look at verse 2. Micah writes, but you, Bethlehem, Ephaphrathath, uh, right? Though you were little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me out the one to be the ruler in Israel whose goings forth from old, from everlasting. Now, but you, O Bethlehem. Well, Bethlehem, we know, was what? We would know, we known as a hometown of David, Israel's greatest king. Yet, there was never a great, or, or, or it was never influential in any way. It was truly little among the thousands of Israel. Yet, God chose the birthplace of the Messiah and the ruler of Israel. If you're taking note, Bethlehem, check this out. It means house of bread, house of bread. And yet, last week in our John study, you recall we were talking about Jesus being the bread of life. So here, here is all of a sudden, you've got this Messiah being born. Okay, he's born, right? Micah writes that. Micah means who is like Jesus. He's being born where? He's being born in a place called the house of bread. We know according to our John study that Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And you're thinking, how does all this fit in? Because why? Because you can't make this stuff up. I mean, this is like, this is like amazing. And so in Bethlehem, the house of bread. Now the word Ephratath was an old name of the place in which the Jews retained in love. The meaning of it means fruitfulness and abundance and abundance. Well, Charles Spurgeon once wrote, according to this, ah, Well was Jesus born in the house of fruitfulness. For whence cometh my fruitfulness and thy fruitfulness, my brother, but from Bethlehem? Our poor barren hearts never produced one fruit or flower till they were watered with the Savior's blood, end quote. Well, he says here in the prophecy, O Bethlehem, Though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me, the one to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth are from old and everlasting. Notice that last phrase, whose going forth from old to everlasting. This is a glorious promise. This was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And Micah's prophetic voice declares that though Jesus came from Bethlehem, he did not begin there. His goings forth are from eternity past. Do you guys see it? Do you see how the scripture plays out? 
And knowing that Jesus going forth are from old, from everlasting, well, it shows us some important things. You go, well, like what, Pastor? Well, it shows us the glory of Jesus and that he is far more than a man. Number two, it shows us the love of Jesus that he would leave the glory of heaven for us. Do you guys see that? Wow. It shows us the nature of Jesus and that he would add humanity to his deity. And last but not least, guys, it shows us the sympathy of Jesus, that he remains fully man and fully God. So Micah, 700 years, writes prophetically, Jesus is going to be born in Bethlehem. Everyone agrees it's Bethlehem. Everyone goes, amen. You and I who are, listen, who are, 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 are believing the Bible, the inerrant scripture, we go, amen, seven, Jesus, I believe that, right? Jesus. And so Micah chapter one, I'm sorry, Micah chapter 5, verse 1 through 3, if you're taking note, here's what I want you to see. Now, we don't have time to really go through it, but it fulfills the first coming of Jesus known as Advent. Now, known as Advent. Now, for homework, if you'll read verses 4 through 15, this actually talks about the second coming of Jesus yet to be fulfilled. So we know that Jesus is coming, and he has come in Advent. Where was he born? Bethlehem, right? Do we believe it? Amen. You believe it, right? You believe there, there is a town in Israel called Bethlehem. I've been there. Now, here's probably what you're thinking, right? I came to church, and I wondered, was Jesus born on December 25th? Because we celebrate that, was Jesus born on December 25th? Let me just say this to you. Two things. You ready? Number one, um, you have a one in 365 chance that he was. Fair enough? But as your pastor, I don't want to be the pastor who stole Christmas, right? But I will tell you that probably not. Probably not. You see, for the shepherds to be out with the sheep meant probably it was either going to be in the fall or the spring. They wouldn't go out in the winter. Could you imagine being a shepherd out in this cold today? You would say, no, get it? (laughs) So when we come and you go, well, pastor, why do we celebrate it on December 25th. Well, here's what I want you to see. As believers, guys, we don't want to celebrate a day. We want to celebrate the person. But if we're, but if we're fired up believers, we should have Christmas every day, don't you think? Christmas should be every day. And you should make tamales every day. No, I'm kidding. You shouldn't make tamales. Every, well, you could, but we'll have some for a while. So Micah prophesied, and I'm looking at this, and I'm going, 700, from, 700 years, this, this, this prophet in Israel, whose name means who is like Yahweh, says, the Messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem. And everybody's probably going, <laughs> Bethlehem? I mean, that's like, no, no. 
our Messiah, our Meshach, is going to be born in Jerusalem. No, Micah prophesied it. And you go, well, pastor, what's your point? Well, I want to show you something. We see that he comes. So Micah prophesied that Jesus would come 700 years before it happened. But what we know that is that 700 years later, it did happen. Just like Micah said, right? And you go, what do you mean? Well, let's say goodbye to Micah and let's turn over to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2, as we consider the prophecy, here's what I want you to write on the top of your notes in Matthew chapter 2. You ready? Let's also note the reactions to Christ being born. I want you to note three reactions to Jesus being born. Okay. Now, you need to look at me for just a moment. Over here, Micah says, Bethlehem. You guys say Bethlehem. Okay. And over here, it's happening. It's going down. Jesus is being born. Matthew's going to write that, but here's what I want you guys to see. I want you to see the reactions. I want you to note the reactions, okay? What happens? Who, how, how are people reacting to Jesus being born? You guys with me? Say amen if you're in Matthew chapter 2. Amen. Notice with me verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born, where? Bethlehem. Help me again. Now, after Jesus was born, where? There it is. Matthew says, Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea. When? In the days of Herod the king. Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen the star in the east and have come to worship him. Verse 3. When Herod the king heard, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests, the scribes, and of the people together, he inquired of them where Christ was to be born. So they said to him, in, help me, Bethlehem of Judea, right? So the chief priests, the scribes are like, so, so Herod's like walking back and forth, and he's pacing, and he's like, where is this Jesus supposed to be born? And the scribes and the chief priests are like, in Bethlehem. How do we know? Well, they said, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Well, there it is, guys. They said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus is written by the prophet. What prophet? Micah. Micah wrote it. Matthew, you know, he recorded it. He said, yeah, there it is. But here's what I want you to see, okay? So we can go, amen. But I want to show you something. I'm going to take you on a little side road, okay? So so we're on a trip. We're on a trip. Everybody's with me, okay? And and instead of going straight, I'm saying, hey, I need to take a little detour. I need to take a little detour because I want to show you something, and I want to give you some nugget of truth that you you can apply to your life. You go, what are they? Okay. I want you to note... The reaction to Jesus being born. The reaction to Jesus being born in Bethlehem. If you're taking note, I want you to note the first reaction. You go, what's that? Look at that word, troubled. They were troubled. There are people who are troubled. You go, what do you mean? Look at verse 3 with me real quick. When Herod, right, the king, heard this, he was troubled. You go, what does that mean? It means to stir or to agitate to like where we get this this boiling water you go what do you mean 
Well, if you're taking note, it means it was, he was straight up hostile and he was paranoid. So there's Herod and he's looking and he's not wanting to worship the little baby Jesus. He's like, where, and he's troubled. He doesn't like it at all. He was hostile. He was paranoid. And because he was hostile and paranoid, notice what the word says. It says he was troubled in all Jerusalem. He was making everybody's life miserable. Jesus is being born in Bethlehem. Where is this Jesus? Where do you say he was supposed to be born? Well, the prophet said in Bethlehem. Oh, I can't believe this. I just can't. Now, now listen, I want you to notice. Guys, notice the reaction to Christ from Herod. Hostile, paranoid, so much so he gives the command to kill the male children who were born in Bethlehem two years. He's so paranoid. Every male child two years and under, let's kill him. Dude, chill out. Herod, are you okay? Kill them all. This guy probably was the original Grinch who tried to steal Christmas, don't you think? You go, why would you say that? He's killing all the babies, all the male ones, two years. Listen, I mean, could you imagine? This would just be horrible. This would be horrible. His reaction to Christ is to murder kids. This guy wants nothing to do with the Christ child. The very mention of his name brings fear and hostility. Let me just say this to you before we go on. A lot of that is the same today. The mention of the name of Jesus brings a lot of, it troubles a lot of people. It troubles, it brings fear and it brings hostility. Don't talk to me about Jesus. And here's a loving savior who all he wants to do, listen, this is what he did for me. Okay, listen, I felt like at 17, I was sinking down, man, in this miry pit of sin and selfishness, and I, could, and, and I had no hope, and, 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 and Jesus came in, and he pulled me from the miry clay, and he put me on a solid rock. He came into my life, and here's what he did. He forgave me of my sins. Do you understand? All of them. Even the ones back at all of them, he forgave me. And what? This is crazy. Not only did, did he forgive me, I sinned, but he, he, he came into me and gave me a new life. Oh, so you're saying if I give my life to Jesus, I'm going to be a preacher? That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that he took me and he saved me and he gave me hope. And when we talk and, and you talk about Jesus and you start sharing that, some reaction to people, guys, they get really, really hostile and paranoid. They get really angry. You know, what's a second, what's a second reaction to Jesus being born in Bethlehem? Well, if you're taking note, the first one we saw was troubled, but notice this one. It's, it's, it's religious and indifferent. Religious and indifferent. How so? Look at verse four with me, guys. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and the scribes, who are these guys? These are the religious people, right? So, so Herod says, let's call the pastors, bring them all in. Let's call the priests, come on. And he inquired of them where Christ was to be born. They said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are you not the least among the rulers of Judah? For out of you shall come a ruler 
who will shepherd my people Israel. You guys see that? Right? You go, what was the point? Do you guys see this? These guys, these guys knew where Christmas was going to be born. They, they knew the Old Testament. They studied Micah chapter 5. They're like, when Herod asks them, they're going, of course, it's Bethlehem. It's Bethlehem. Duh, it's Bethlehem. These guys knew. And you go, yeah, Pastor, they knew. They knew all of the prophecies. They understood Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. They understood Micah 5, 2. And yet, here's what I want to see. Here's what I want you guys to see. Yet, when we read it in Scripture, none of them went to Bethlehem. They knew he was coming. Christmas is being born. Yeah. None of them went to Bethlehem. You go, why? Well, church, listen. These men had a head knowledge of the Messiah, the one being born king of the Jew, but in their heart, it was indifferent. They're just they're indifferent. And that happens a lot. When we start sharing Jesus, you'll, you'll get that reaction. What reaction we get? Sometimes we'll get angry. People get angry with us. Don't bring that Jesus in. And they get angry. You're like, okay, calm down, calm down. Why? Well, let me give you this negative truth. Listen, we don't want to win the fight. We want to win the person. Eternity is a long time to be without the Lord. And so when people get angry, we step back, we pray, because this is one of the reactions we're going to get. The second reaction is we're going to get some, we're going to get people who are religious, but they're going to be indifferent. Hey, let me tell you about, yeah, Jesus, that, he's a pretty cool fella. Yeah. Hey, if that works for you, man. That's awesome. That's not, listen, if that's your crutch, I, amen. Me, listen, I'll do my own thing. Or you'll hear a lot of indifference like, meh. I make my own destiny. Don't you understand? I, I'm the captain of my own ship or whatever, whatever it might be. And they're indifferent. Why? These guys, these, 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 these priests and these scribes, they knew where Jesus was going to be born. And not a one of them said, come on, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's go. Let's go see where, where, our, where the Messiah is coming. They knew about it. It just didn't reach their heart. Church, can I, can I plead with you for just a second? Make sure that Christmas is not here, but it's here. It's not about how many presents you have under a tree and how, how nice your house looks. It's about the time you share and who you share with. And it's about, it's about here. A lot of people have a head knowledge of who Jesus is, but they're missing it. They're missing it. They don't have a heart knowledge you go, what do you mean? They haven't fully surrendered. They haven't come to the place where they let go. And I understand. I get it, guys. There's a lot of people that have been brought up and in, in just, I mean, their whole past is, 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 is just messed up. And they don't want to let go of that. They're, un, they're afraid. And they don't know what the future is going to hold. And they're, they're not sure if they really believe in this. You guys know what I'm talking about? Because here's what I want you to see. Aren't we crazy? Aren't we cra- we're crazy, aren't we? You go, what do you mean? Look what we believe. We believe God existed before anything. How many of you have seen God? Well, I haven't really seen him. I've seen his attributes. I've seen beautiful... I mean, I know there is. I know there's a God. 
Well, what else are you? You're, you're telling people that you believe that a little girl named Mary became pregnant as a virgin. You believe that. And you believe she gave birth to a son and named him Jesus, Yahshua, Emmanuel, God with us. You believe this man grew up at the age of 30, began his ministry, called 12 disciples to him, changed the world, died on a cross, and when you put your faith and trust in him, you believe that you'll spend eternity with him forever. No wonder the world looks at us and thinks you're crazy. You really believe that? I believe that. What makes that belief, listen to me, what makes that belief so pertinent in our lives? It's when people see that it's not just a head knowledge, but a heart knowledge. What makes people go, you're different. Something's changed. It's because it's moved into your heart. And now you're based, you're living your life based on a heart that's for Jesus, not just simply a head knowledge. You guys with me? So you got those that are just angry. You got those that are indifferent. Let me give you the third reaction of Jesus being born in Bethlehem. You ready? Jot this down. It's worship. It's worship. Look at verse 2. And when he who had been born king of the Jews, they said, we have seen the star in the east and we have come to worship him. Worship him. These are wise men. They're known as magi. They come by faith to worship Christ. Right? Faith, yeah. Jesus was just a baby. He was a child. And yet by faith they came and they worshiped him. Well, what do you mean worshiped? Well, guys, they knew in their heart that Jesus had filled that emptiness. And when Jesus fills the emptiness in your heart, a natural byproduct is worship. Is worship. Let me say this. Wise men still seek him today. Wise men, wise women still seek him today. Can I just say this to you, church? 2017 is gone. But we want to make 2018 even more of seeking Jesus and following Jesus and reacting to Jesus and letting him lead us. That's all we got. That's all we got. And so we have three reactions. You go, some people, you talk about Jesus, they get angry. Other people are indifferent. You know what other people will do? They worship. They worship. Hey, can I tell you about, you're a believer too? No way. Oh, I gave my life to, oh man, that's awesome. Hey, want to pray together? Let's just pray. And, and guys, be careful because that's what we want to do. We want to worship the Lord together. That's, that's another reaction. Now, as we begin to try to land this plane, here's what I want you to remember. And this is the important part. God's promises are true. God's promises are true. Okay? You go, what do you mean? By the way of recap, okay? God spoke to his prophet how many years? 700 years before he came, and he told him that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem of Judea. Micah obeys. He comes. He speaks the word of the Lord. 700 years later, Jesus is born. You've got to ask your question, what are the odds? What are the odds? 700 years. What are the odds? Well, here's what you need to jot down. 
according to the Hebrew requirement that a prophecy must be fulfilled 100% in the rate of accuracy, the true Messiah of Israel must fulfill all of them or else he's not the Messiah. Okay, so and if, if he's going to come out and you're going to prophesy, you better be how much? A hundred percent, right? If you're 80, guess what? You're not a prophet. And you know what they would do to false prophets? They would take them out and they would stone them to death. So now all of a sudden, Micah's going 700 years. And so you go, okay, so what are the odds? What are the odds? See, I know a lot of people, and, and a lot of people go, well, I'm not so sure. I mean, I wasn't around 2,000 years ago, so I don't know. Most historians, most biblical scholars, most theologians believe that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. But what are the odds? Well, let me say this to you. Did you know there are 60 prophecies concerning Jesus coming as the Messiah. But the odds of one man fulfilling only eight of these 60 prophecies just become astronomical. Just eight of them. You go, wait, 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 help me again, Pastor. There are 60 prophetic verses, prophecies that say Jesus is the Messiah. The odds of one man filling eight of them are incredibly not so you go like what it's like let's see who can i use i'm going to use giovanni i say giovanni listen come on and i say giovanni i've got a plan for you here's, here's what i'm going to do and i i take out a silver dollar and i say giovanni i'm going to put a little cross on this silver dollar you see that and giovanni's like yeah okay cool i take this silver dollar and I say, Giovanni, you need to go to New Mexico for a little while. I've got some work to do. So Giovanni, he gets in his car, and he drives to New Mexico, and he's hanging out, and he's eating good food, and we're all jealous. While you and I decide to cover the entire state of Texas two feet deep with silver dollars. Okay, I didn't say Lubbock. I said the entire state of Texas. So we come on in, right? And mule shoe is not a problem. Sudan. We start getting Lubbock a little harder. Man, we get into Houston and Dallas. I mean, we're, you've got two feet of silver dollars. Finally, we get the whole state covered with two feet of silver dollars everywhere. The whole state. Giovanni says, okay, I'm ready. So I blindfold Giovanni and I say, Gio, now here's, here's, here's what you need you need to go find the one silver dollar that has a cross in it in all of the state of Texas. That's the odds for one man fulfilling eight prophecies. Where would he look? Even blindfolded, where would he look? You see how crazy that is? And yet, guys, and yet... Think about this. Jesus fulfilled all 60 prophecies. I mean, we're just looking at one today. Where? Bethlehem. Just one. He fulfilled all 60. Now, follow me, okay? Follow me as we close our study. Why? Because there's another prophecy that's about to happen. It hasn't happened yet. 
But if Micah told us that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem and it happened, then now we must pay attention to what's going to happen next. Last turn, say goodbye to Matthew and turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, Paul writes a message. Who's he writing to? He's writing to you and I. Notice, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, Paul writes and says, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. What's Paul saying to you and I? He's saying, guys, I don't want you to be ignorant of those who have died before you. Like people who have no hope. I need to make a point of clarification so we understand the text. Paul is writing to believers. And so his assumption is that everyone who has died, died in Christ. You guys with me? He died, they died in Christ. So Paul goes, listen, you have two sides to the coin. Number one, you have those who have died and, and they're sorrowing like they have no hope. Oh, I'll never see him again. Oh, I mean, it's just brutal. And he says, but, but for, for the believer, he says, I don't want you to be ignorant. Why, Paul? Everybody say, why, Paul? Verse 14, for if we believe, if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so will we'll bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. What's Paul saying? He's saying, guys, listen, you might, you, those of us who are alive today, can I get an amen? amen. If you're alive, say amen. amen. Oh, good. We're not going to precede those who have fallen asleep. You go, well, what's going to happen? He said, this is what's going to happen. You ready? The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout. And with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. All our loved ones, guys. Okay, let me let you in. Let me, what, happens, what happens is, everybody look at, this is a shell. This is a shell. I know you look in the mirror and you go, I don't like the way I look. I wish I could lose some weight. I wish I, yeah. We all do that, right? And then gravity kicks in and things start falling down where they shouldn't be falling down. And, and it's just a shell. Aren't you glad this is just a shell? Because I'm thinking, my glorified body, man, I'm going to be six foot three. You're not even going to recognize me. This is just a shell. When you take your final breath here, guys, the shell will go in the ground. Your spirit... We'll go with Jesus right away. Because the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. You're like, oh, right, I love that. So but what happens to my shell? When Jesus comes back, your spirit is going to now match your shell, only it's not going to be the old you. It's going to be the brand new you. It's going to be you 2.0. Isn't that going to be amazing? Isn't that going to be amazing? That's going to be exciting. Now, it's going to freak some people out. Why? 
I mean, can you imagine? There you are, and you're you're the you're the maintenance guy at the local cemetery, right? And you're driving the tractor, and you, all of a sudden you start seeing graves start opening up. It's going to freak somebody out. That's what that's what God said. Listen, He said He said what? He says the dead in Christ is going to rise first. He says, but here's the hope. You ready? Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them. So this body doesn't go. It's going to be transformed into a glorified body. And we're going to meet all our loved ones in Jesus up in the air. And we're going to be high-fiving each other. And we're like, this is exciting. Amen. Yes. I can. Oh, hey, look. And it's just going to be so great. It's going to be so great. Now, here's the problem. The problem is, is that a lot of theologians and a lot of pastors are like, you better be ready for the rapture. It's going to be amazing. I don't know about you, but in my life, I've had heartache and I've lost people. And I'm ready to see them. But none more than I want to see Jesus. I had a friend. I had a friend who's dying. He, he may have weeks. He may have days. And he asked me, he said, shouldn't I be, and, and he's crying. And he said, shouldn't I be excited about dying? Shouldn't I be excited? And I'm saying, I said, but listen, your spirit should be. I said, but, but God put in us what? He put in us the sanctity of life. And so sometimes we just hang on to it. And so when it comes to life, we want to hold on. But honestly, are we ready? Are we ready to, to just... And we don't know when it's going to happen. It says, those who are alive and remain shall be caught up together in the clouds. You guys be looking for clouds, okay? Now, I don't want you to go, it's a clear day. Jesus ain't coming back today. Look for clouds. It'll be like, we're going to meet him in the clouds. We're going to meet him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And here it is. You ready? Here's the hope. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort, comfort one another with these words. Now, three things I want you to consider, guys. I want you to consider the word when he says caught up. Caught up. You go, what does that mean? It's a verb. It's harpazo, and it's translated into Latin, rapturus, where we get the word rapture. When somebody says, well, rapture's not found in the Bible, well, if you do a little bit of digging, it sort of is. Okay? Rapture. So what's going to happen? We're going to be raptured. It means to be caught up, to snatched up quickly. Paul tells us in Corinthians it's, it's going to be in the twinkling of an eye. You know how fast a twinkling of an eye is? Half a blink. That's how fast. That's how fast. We'll be gone. We'll be gone. You'll hear the trumpet. Boom. Wow. The second word I want you to consider, Think the second thing I want you to consider is the word to meet. To meet. Notice what it says. It says we're going to be caught up, raptured with them, those who have gone before us, in the clouds to meet. The phrase was used as a technical term, guys, a technical term to describe the official, the official welcoming of honored guests. I like that. I like that. Jesus is expecting you. You go, well, Pastor, what's the third thing you want us to consider? Your attention, please. 
Micah prophesied. Here, here's, here's been the hope of my heart, guys, since, since, I, since November. I wanted to show you that Micah said Jesus is going to be born in Bethlehem and Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Paul says the day is coming when I'm going to come, I'm going to come and get you and take you home. I'm going to be raptured. You're going to be my honored guest. This is going to happen. You go, Pastor, has it happened? It hasn't happened, but it's going to happen. If Micah, what Micah said was true, come to pass, what Paul tells us in the word of God is going to come to pass. And I don't want to find anybody sleeping. I don't want to find anybody struggling. I don't find anybody wondering, am I saved or not? Now, now listen, listen. Last thought, okay? Last thought. There might be some of you here today, and I respect you and I honor you, and you might go, I don't know about this whole rapture thing. I don't know when Jesus is coming. This is the first time I've heard it. I, I don't know about the rapture thing. And I say, okay, amen. I respect that. I respect that because we're not going to, that's not a, that's, we're not going to let that separate us in, as fellowship. But here's what I do want to say. Here's what I do want to say. If it's not the rapture and Jesus loves us so much that, that he, he wants to see people saved. Guys, we know this, that one day. Every one of us will take our last breath on this earth. If it's not the rapture, then certainly it's death. And here, here's what I've learned about death. Death is no respect of a person. And death is never satisfied. It's never satisfied. The grave is never satisfied. And I bet if you guys are like me, you have thought about your own death from time to time. I wonder, hmm. And some of you are going, man, I hope, I hope when I'm 85 and I'm laying in my bed and I have my family and friends around me and they're praying for me and it's just a great worship service and I tell every one of them I love them and I, and I smile and I drop in, off into eternity. Wouldn't that be amazing? But is that reality? We don't know, do we? We don't know. You go, well, Pastor, what, what's your point? My point is really simple. If Micah, if Micah said this is going to be true and we celebrate it and it's Bethlehem, an old little town of Bethlehem, that is true and Jesus came in Bethlehem. We can't neglect what we're told. What's our reaction? I pray that it's not indifference. Hey, hey, how many of you want to give your life to Jesus? Ah, I'll do it sometime. I'll do it. Ah, Jesus is cool. That's fun. Yeah, yeah. I'll cover my bases. Don't, that's indifferent. More importantly, I'd rather say, hey, listen, it's time to give your life to Jesus. I've, I'd love worship. I'd love worship. And somebody goes, yes, that's what I want. That's what I want. That's what I want. This is the most important part of our service, guys, and then we'll pray. I just want to ask you, just an invitation for you to surrender your heart and life to Jesus, to join the family of God. That's really what we're all about. 
That's really what we're all about, where you say yes to Jesus. He's guided you here. He's been speaking to you. He's been knocking on your heart. Some of you may have prayed a prayer when you were young. Some of you may have prayed a prayer. But maybe today you say, I need to put feet on faith. I, 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 I need to make this legit, man. I need to make this real. I need to give my life to Jesus. And some of you may go, that's what I need to do. I need to surrender. I need to give my heart to the Lord. Well, I'm going to give you an opportunity. He said, Pastor, what? Pastor, Pastor, can can I have your chance? Pastor, I'm with my friends. What will they think? They're going to get excited for you. Because this is the most important decision. And I'll never forget sitting in the chair, just like you, listening and my heart beating, I'm going, I need to do this. I need to surrender once and for all. I want to follow God. I want to surrender. I'm tired of I, I've. I remember thinking, I have, I have been in control of my life, and it, I have messed up. <laughs> I need to give somebody else control. And when I did that, Jesus came and He lived in my heart, and He began to do amazing things. I want that for you. Because I don't know when that rapture is going to come or I don't know when you'll take your final breath. But I, I do know I am pleading with you and begging with you that when that happens, I want Jesus to look at you and say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your rest. Pastor, how did I get to heaven? Simply by putting your faith in what he did. That's all. You have to work for it. There's no works. It's just believing, trusting, repenting, and making that decision. Amen. Father, we thank you today for Christmas, for who you are. We thank you for your great love. There is none like you. We love you, Jesus. Father, I know that you're in the saving business. I know that you speak to men's heart when I don't. I know that you're moving mightily today. And so, Lord, today I pray. I pray for anyone here who heard your voice and needs to surrender to you. What a glorious day. Jesus, you're coming back for us. I don't know when, but I know you are. I believe your word. And with every eye closed, And every head bowed. How many of you would say, Pastor, will you pray for me? I want to surrender my life to Jesus. I I haven't been walking with God. I feel like I'm a million miles away. And maybe you feel like you're a million miles away, but you're one decision away from coming to him today. Well, what would you like me to do, Pastor? I just want you to lift up your hand and say, Pastor, pray for me. I want Jesus. I want to be forgiven. I want to be in the family of God. If you've never done that, or you just want to put feet on faith today, you just want to, you just want to know beyond a shadow of a doubt. You just want to know, you know, you know, you know. Will you just lift up your hand right now? Say, Pastor, pray for me. I'm ready to surrender my heart to Jesus. Is there anyone here that would like to do that today? 
Amen. God bless you. Anyone else? Anyone else? It's God that's moving in your heart. All you have to do is lift up your hand. Nobody's going to see you. God's going to see your hand. God bless you, sir. I see you to my right. Anyone else? Anyone else? Anyone else? Lord, I thank you for these hands that were raised. I know you're working and I know you're moving this Sunday morning. What better way than to surrender our lives, God, to you on Christmas Eve? Those of you that raised their hands, would you repeat this prayer after me? Mean it with all of your heart and say, Lord Jesus, I believe you. I believe in you. And I believe you're coming back for me. I want to go to heaven. And so I'm asking you to please forgive me of my sin. I have blown it. Would you come into my heart, Lord? I give you full control right now. Take it. Take my heart and make it new. I surrender my life to you. With all of my heart, Lord, right now, I believe that you died on the cross for me. I believe you died, and I believe you resurrected, and I believe you're coming back for me. And so, God, today, I pray, and I'm asking you to come into my heart and be my Lord, and be my God, and be my Savior, and be my friend. I choose this day to follow you, Jesus, forever I'm yours, in Jesus' name. If you've prayed that prayer and totally believe that, welcome to the family of God. We love you. We love you. Hey, this is Pastor Josh. I hope this message has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. If it has, we would love to hear your story of how it has impacted you, or especially if you responded to the invitation to receive Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. To get in touch or to receive more information, please contact us by phone at 806-799-2227 or send an email to calvarylubbock at hotmail.com. Again, that phone number is 806-799-2227. Also, if you want to partner with us financially to take the gospel to West Texas and the world, please click on the donate button on calvarychapellubbock.org. Thanks for listening to the podcast. May God richly bless you.